Welcome to the Strategic Leader Podcast with me, Gemma Bullivant, and my co-host, Fiona Craig. This podcast is for HR professionals and people-focused leaders from any function who want to think, act, and feel naturally more strategic. Enjoy the show. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Gem. And hi to uh, everyone who's listening. I am hoping that there's more than one of you. I'm pretty sure there are. I'm pretty sure there's more than one out there. (laughs) (laughs) We've got uh, an interesting topic today. And when we recorded the conversation, we jumped straight in without any kind of of preamble. We We were just super keen, weren't we? I think so. But what we really want to cover in today's episode is starting to claim and starting to understand HR's place in the executive table. On the executive table. What I really love about this topic is that since we've recorded this one, I've been in an executive, executive team where I've seen this at work right in front of my eyes. And it was something I hadn't considered before. But since we've talked about it, I saw it literally at work earlier this week. And um, I was able to bring a little bit more wisdom into the room because of it. So a really interesting topic for today. And hopefully you will all enjoy it as much as Gem and I have done talking about it. Gemma, I consider myself as someone who has a background formally in strategy. I've, I've got strategy in my job title and I have done for a number of years. You, I know, have spent the bulk of your career focusing on HR. So tell me why we are here recording this podcast about strategy. How does it show up within an HR environment? Why are we even having this conversation? Great question. And I think it's really useful for us to go into the why we're doing this, because that's in itself quite a strategic question. For me, whether it's HR or any other functional area, A key requirement as we move through our careers and get more senior is this idea of operating more strategically. From what I've experienced in the world of people and HR is this confidence crisis, but also a perspective often at the executive level around should the people expert be in in our senior leadership team? There's lots of debate about the chief people officer versus the people director versus head of people. And, and, in, and in the sense of this conversation, I think we interchange the term HR and people, which is probably a whole other episode topic. That, that's like a whole conversation in its own right, doesn't it? Resor- resources or are we people? <laughs> exactly. But there's this almost this identity crisis, I think, within the world of HR and people, which that is part of it. What do we call ourselves? Which plays into the idea that on the one hand, CEOs and the, the executive leaders do buy into the integral importance of people in business and, and the strategic lever that, that getting that it right really represents in a bus- in the business world and yet seem reluctant to include the people expert in their executive teams the people leader is often tucked under the CFO or the COO isn't directly reporting into the CEO and isn't always at the table for these discussions because typically the CFO 
the COO, and now more commonly the CTO, accepted strategic players in a business. Yeah. And somehow the, the people equation is a sort of an afterthought. But that being the case, if you look at many uh, top tier teams, you you know you're going to have a CFO. You know you're going to have a COO. You may have a CMO. You may have marketing in there. You're going to have a CTO for sure. <laughs> so you've got your money, your marketing, your technology. Where are the people? It seems nuts in a knowledge economy that people isn't automatically one of the big three. It does. It does. Yet, often it's not, is it? You, like you say, it could be a different title and it sits somewhere and nests into some other function. Mm. And how many organisations say our people are at the heart of our business? Everything we do is powered by our people. And you think, really? If that's the case, where's your CPO? You must clearly have one, but perhaps they don't. Well, I do wonder how many of those organisations that boldly claim that people are at the heart of the business really do have the people leader the CPO at the executive table, directly reporting into the CEO. So in your experience, Jen, because you you have predominantly an HR background, how does this tension between, you know, the reliance on the people and the importance that you place on that people function at a, at a very senior strategic level, how does this show up in your experience? What problems does this create by not having it there or by having somebody who has it is at a more junior level that's trying to influence that mm. that C-suite group of people. What 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 are the situations? What, what what's come up for you in your career that you've gone? Okay, this is why it's an issue. This is why why we're trying to resolve some of that or address some of that by, mm. by talking about it in this podcast. Well, the the obvious one is one I've mentioned already, which is that the HR person reports often into the finance person. And therefore, the HR function is, by virtue of that reporting line, a kind of an offshoot of finance, mm-hmm. which it isn't. There are elements of the HR function that do do play into the, the finance world, but there are also elements of the finance function where the people function needs to challenge some of the thinking. So you, you're almost you're coming at, at business challenges from two different standpoints that need to come together. So if you've got one leader in the finance person sitting at that executive table, the people aspect of that conversation is not necessarily going to be heard at that table. And how much of that do you think is a hangover from even, you know, even a century ago or more than that? Let's go back all the way back to the industrial revolution of people as resource rather than people as a strategic advantage? I think that's exactly where it's rooted. I think it has evolved over time from the idea of pay and rations and the idea that the personnel function effectively managed pay and rations, managed tax, managed, you know, the people's work schedules. Alongside that, the employment world has evolved, legislation has evolved, and that role has become increasingly more compliance and governance focused to keep up with and ensure that the business is operating within the legal parameters 
uh, that are put in place and, and updated from time to time. So that transactional aspect of complying with what is required has been an absolute foundational part of the HR profession for many, many years. What's happened over time, though, is, as you mentioned, the knowledge economy has emerged where people are not necessarily creating widgets in a factory. There are lots of people creating widgets in factories still, don't get me wrong, but there is a whole new economy that's happened over the last several decades where the service of what a person delivers basically is the commodity. They're not create the commodity isn't something that's been created in terms of a tangible widget. It's actually a service. It's an evolution. It's perhaps a, a development of a product or a development of a new piece of technology. It's a, a refinement of that. It's integrating that, a kind of a business service that meets the client's business challenges. And this whole B2B business to business type idea is a lot of that kind of of activity. The minute you start looking at those types of activities, your person that is delivering that is central to the success of your business. Mm. If that person is not skilled, is not even in seat, you are not earning money. So you need to be able to attract those people. You can't carry vacancies. Vacancies are a real challenge for businesses that are actually relying on that service as the, the revenue stream. The skills needed to deliver that are central. And then, as we know from all sorts of uh, psychology research, the individual's motivation and engagement has then become increasingly important. Do I want to deliver this service? Am I motivated to do this and do this well and do this in the right way? And am I motivated to stay? And we know that particularly in the last, I guess, 10 years or so, it's become very, very visible that our, our expectations of our employers and our workplace have, have changed dramatically such that we demand a sense of purpose from our employers, which wasn't the case probably 50, 60 years ago, maybe even less than that. We demanded a salary and we demanded certain basic conditions. But now we're, we're demanding a real sense of purpose and meaning often in terms of contribution to the environment or society. Our expectations of what an employer needs to provide have, have changed and are, are changing even more rapidly and as, as recent years have gone by. So it's, that, it's about that humanness that enables us to deliver that service, which takes us out of that commodity. So let me ask you this then. You've worked with many people within the HR function, regardless of their job title. If they're not a CPO, if there hasn't been their, that acknowledgement at C-suite level that the people are as strategically important as the finance or the sales or the marketing or the technology, uh, what's the impact on those people who are still responsible for delivering the people function in a business if they aren't engaging with the C-suite on equal terms, if they're, if they're kind of engaging via the finance function? And is it always financed? Does the people function ever report in anywhere else? The people function typically reports into finance because there is always a CFO. If there is also a COO, then sometimes I've seen that be a, a reporting line as well. The simple answer to that question is you cannot operate strategically 
when you are only able to respond to what's being decided in a room that you're not part of. What we're saying there then, part of being able to think and act strategically is to be involved in that decision-making process rather than just acting on what has already been decided. Yes, it is. There is a fundamental need to have proactive thinking and proactive participation in order to be strategic. And if you are not in the room, if you are effectively receiving decisions and the strategic direction, the strategic priorities from another group of people and you haven't been part of that discussion, you have never had the opportunity to proactively contribute, challenge and feed into that discussion. So if you are excluded from that table, you are only ever really reacting to that that executive direction. And what that means is that with the best will in the world, there is only ever a reactive response from the people team or from the HR team, because there is no imperative to anticipate, to bring to the attention of the executive leaders things that are important to be considered in that decision-making process from a people perspective, the timelines that might be realistic to consider, the impacts, the wider breadth, the wider knock-on effects of decision A on this area and this area and this initiative, or any of the other strategic arms that we, we know are part of this strategic thinking, that means that you are just waiting to respond. And so it informs how you behave. It it informs how you operate in the business. And what happens if, so, I mean, you, you made reference to the fact that you may not be in the room, which I'm sure absolutely happens a lot of the time. What if you are in the room, but you're still not, you're, you're kind of the token HR person. I mean, we, there is a trope, isn't there, which is the token HR person, which also falls into often the token woman in the room, which mm. I acknowledge is a completely separate conversation. But there is that sort of token HR person. If, if that is you, if that is the structural setup in your organisation, how, how do you influence strategically people with a more senior job title than you? I, I guess for me, that's why we're having this conversation in the first place. This whole mm. is around supporting those people. Would that be right? It is. And I think one of the main reasons that I think that the topics that we're discussing in this podcast have come about is the answer to that question, which is, A, are you in the room in the first place? And if you're not, how can you get into that room? And then B, what do you do once you are in that room? How do you leverage your influence in that room? There could be any number of answers to that question, which is, is it something that's getting in your way? Is it that you are not really considered important by the others, that that token person that you referred to? I think that the first hurdle is getting in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is this sort of transition, perhaps, from sort of the industrial revolution, Taylorism, creating, you know, the, the idea of personnel and your employees being central to your revenue is this idea that it's not perceived as a technical enough 
function to be given the seat at the table because lots of people think that they can they know what to do with people because we are we're, we're all people so we're we all do people. the people thing we know how to handle people because we are one <laughs> when in, in indeed when in fact I wonder what would have happened if the people function had actually been attributed more to psychology and the psychology of people, the psychology of motivation. And maybe that's the direction it's going in. But this idea that actually you do need some qualifications in this and it is beyond the employment legislation and governance side of things. And it's about psychology. It's about what does motivate us, what's what's going on when people feel but they're lacking in confidence. What's going on when people are working in teams and team dynamic, you know, how the networks of organisations work and the systemic impact of putting team A with team B, which comes back to quite a lot of psychology thinking. Yeah, it totally does. And I, I, I often describe that kind of thing as the glue that holds, or and maybe the cement that holds your bricks of your business together so you can build a business out of bricks and they're the obvious things this is our business plan this is our strategic plan this is our sales plan but the cement that holds those bricks together is your understanding of the people that are delivering all this stuff Mm. and if you ignore that cement you've got Mm. the bricks which may well stay up but probably won't you know the smallest kick will knock it over so you ignore that people cement at your peril because that's the thing that's holding your business together, that's the thing that makes it strong and able to withstand heavy weather, which is not an easy thing to deal with um, because we're all a bit messy, aren't we? We're mm. people at the end of the day and we're all a bit messy. We don't act we don't act individually precisely as we are programmed to do. And then when you put, as you're saying, when you put people in groups, it's even less likely mm. to do that. Mm. So it's it's a real, a real skill set to maximise your workforce to maximize the potential of your of your workforce which you are paying for you know the biggest cost for any business is their is their people isn't it it is and also the the link to psychology is seen in in your own effectiveness and in and therefore in development work and leadership development work i'm a firm believer that self awareness is your number one superpower and that if you are going to be an effective leader an effective manager and an effective worker your own not understanding and knowledge about your own approach to work approach to other people your impact on others how you feel about different scenarios is all part and parcel of understanding your own strengths your own gaps which is all part and parcel of leveraging and making the most of the things that you like and are good at and the things that get in the way and this is deeply deeply rooted in psychology yeah it isn't necessarily something that is understood by the average finance professional the you know cfo the average coo we can read those books about it but we don't necessarily profess to be experts in that side of development work and therefore you need a people expert in the room that can really call some of those things out and say, have we got the people in that particular business area that have the skills to do what you know what we're saying we need strategically to do? And if the people person is in the room asking those questions, it generates a much stronger strategic plan than if this strategic plan is formulated 
separate to the people person and then the people person looks at it and goes well there's no way we're going to achieve that in the next three years because we haven't got the skills in the business so then that brings to mind two overlapping areas then how the people expert who's coming at this from the probably the psychological perspective of how people actually work in reality how that that people expert can influence business strategy and how the people expert needs to interpret that business strategy to de- to develop a people strategy that supports the business strategy so there's there's kind of two overlapping mm. strategic requirements aren't there and if we approach the HR function as, as something that isn't strategic or doesn't need to be strategic or sits a little bit further down the chain of command, then you're really missing a trick mm. in influencing that business strategy and then also driving a people strategy that supports it. Mm. And when you think about it, people carry images, perspectives and expectations of everything based on their own experience. So when I talk to, sometimes when I go into organisations to really look at the approach to people in HR, talk to the senior leaders across the business, not necessarily just the executive team, but the next level down and ask them about their perspective, I get an array of answers on HR and what HR is there to do, what it's there to deliver, what its purpose is. And therefore, also what their measure of good HR might might look like, because some people see HR as the transactional administration function, and therefore their measure of good HR is how quickly they get a contract to send out to an employ- a new recruit. Somebody else's experience of HR in a different context, in a more strategic environment with a different lens is perhaps going to answer that question as someone that can really um, test my thinking, help me keep ahead of what's what's happening, help me get the best out of my team. So depending on your own experience of HR mm-hmm. across your career, how you, you know, what you've encountered, and let's face it, you know, HR does get a bad rap in, yes. and is often the sort of the, the butt of, of of jokes and is kind of you know one of those it's it's commonly talked about in fairly derogatory terms yeah you're right and shaking off that kind of image and and pushing yourself forward you're basically fighting several battles concurrently you're shaking off the image in the business proving that the biz, the hr is more than than the transactional function but you're also operating at that top table and and trying to get onto that top table sometimes and if you are on that top table trying to influence at that top table challenging some of the things that might might be happening in terms of decisions taken there so you've got a lot going on there and it's not surprising that confidence is fairly low or that expectations sometimes are fairly low as to the strategic impact that HR can have in a business. And so I guess that's where we come in, isn't it? It is how can we support and improve the strategic impact that HR can have in a business? Because we all know it has a massive impact, mm. but how do we support upskill build the confidence of people in HR who are kind of looking at that top table going, how do I get in there? How do I influence when I'm in there? How do I challenge in that environment? How do I raise my thinking 
to a more strategic level mm. so that I can hold my own in that environment. And I guess that's what we're here to do, really, isn't mm. it? Start bringing some of your observations from a professional HR background and my observations from a professional strategic background together. Well, having heard my take from an HR perspective, I'm interested in your perspective. You haven't come through the HR route. No, no I haven't. So what's your perspective of the strategic impact that you can have and how you need to approach those conversations at that at that senior level to up to be more strategic sure my background is a is a marketing background i i i grew up in marketing and where there is marketing there is money and i've always had the um, i've always had the view that the closer you are to understanding the money within a business how does the company make money how does it spend money the closer you are to understanding that the easier it is to work your way through the business and up into the senior ranks. So marketing generally has quite a lot of money to spend. And so it's quite easy within that function to understand the business model, to understand the, the overall business strategy. It's, it's quite core to that. I've also recognised a, a great expression, and I don't know where this comes from. It's probably attributable to somebody far cleverer than me, but they say behind every business problem is a people problem. And I have recognized that to be true. Because when you're dealing with, yeah, when you're dealing with teams, when you're dealing with people's capability, people's willingness to do the work, you're going to have all of the marketing strategies and business strategies in the world. But if your people don't understand it, if they don't want to support it, if they're not capable of supporting it because they're not trained or supported well enough or they're in the wrong jobs, then you have a business problem on your hand. It comes from the people. So I've seen the fact that if I am very close to the business and the center of the business, very close to the money, very close to understanding cash flow and P&L and, and, um, and return on investment, all of those things can be derailed by inefficient or inadequate approach to people, having the right people in the right seats, giving them the right support, supporting their supporting their humanness to do this work that we want them to do. And if you don't do that, then you're going to fall short. So I guess I've seen as I've been working my way up through through various businesses of various different sizes, because I've worked, I've worked for big corporates, I've also worked for, for fairly small owner-run marketing and creative agencies. You can only ignore people for so long and then they, they start to it start to creep in uh, the problems that are created by ignoring what people, human beings actually need. So ignoring the people side can totally derail your business strategy and really supporting the people side and investing in it can really supercharge your business strategy. So I guess that's my perspective here, which is it's it's very easy to say, oh, the people side, that's the nice to have, that's the soft skills, let's put them over there. But I say do that at your at your peril, truly, because that is the thing that will make people want to come to work. They'll make them want to do a good job, um, that will make them have good relationships with their bosses and their co-workers, will want to progress, will feel motivated. Um, those are very intangible things, but very, very important to your bottom line. So for me, it is absolutely strategically important that whenever you're thinking about your business plan, what, what are we asking of our people? 
you know, how does this affect the actual human beings in our business is, is, is a critical question to ask up front. So my background is in strategy um, and I've shifted more into the executive coaching world, uh, which is more of the people in the psychology world, because I've recognized that you can only go so far just by looking at strategic documents and without considering what's getting in the way of us delivering this. And your point about self-awareness as being one of those key leadership skills, I think that the fact that we are flawed, human beings are flawed, right? We we don't come out of the box perfect. And and pretending that that's the case is is just um, is just an error, really, because it will come and trip us up. I definitely think that if you are thinking strategy, you have to think, what does this strategy require of our people and how do we support that? And what does this strategy enable in our people? What does it give to our people? Is it motivating? Is it rewarding? Is it purposeful? Um, so the, the people conversation has to come in at a very, very strategic level for all kinds of reasons. And so I can see those things come coming together. I've been at top tables where we're talking about the money, we're talking about the marketing strategy, we're talking about the kind of functional parts of the business, and people are not represented in that conversation. And there'll always be some comeback when they're not in that conversation, or they're not represented effectively at that top table. It's, it's, yeah, you were saying about all the sort of HR being the butt of the jokes and having the, yeah, we talked about the token HR person in the room. It shouldn't be a token HR person. Your your entire business is reliant on, on, on people's brains, on people's personalities, on people's motivation. Mm. And, uh, and, and you, you can't, you can't ignore them if you want to maximize your business return, fun, you know, fundamentally. So that's where I, you know, that's my perspective. There's a point where you can't ignore it, but there's a point where it becomes critically important to address um, what do we need to do to to consider the needs of our people and the potential of our people in developing our business strategy? I completely agree. And I think there is a change happening. There is a transition that I'm noticing in businesses where the recognition of people being integral to the success of a business is starting to be noticed, is starting to be acknowledged Let's work with that and let's continue this this shift, this transition from a transactional, reactive function that is effectively where HR was born in the world of personnel and in the world of the industrial revolution and pay and rations it has evolved massively as the workplace and the working environment and the knowledge economy has emerged and all the different sort of facets of that that we are familiar with. The HR function is sort of been in catch-up mode itself and also the, its reputation and, it, and the perspective of what, what value it adds. So we have to continue this, shine a light on what does being strategic really mean? What are we, what can we do to influence and continue to influence at that senior level? And how can we convincingly stake a claim, rightfully stake a claim for the CPO at that executive level? That for me is the, the main priority for all the things that we talk about in this podcast.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Strategic Leader. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to access more of our recordings. And if you think it'd be useful for someone else, please forward to them and leave a review. We base our content on questions we are regularly asked and what you want to know more about. So please do email us with any questions or comments to Gemma at gemmabullivant.co.uk. And remember, you're already being more strategic than you realise.